Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, give glory to you. Amen. We're very deep in the season of Lent, getting closer to that last week of the life of Jesus, the one we call Holy Week. Before we consider this story that Tim just read, I'd like to kind of kind of tell us where we're at in John's gospel. Right before this, and it's kind of hinted at in the, in the reading, uh, Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus traveled to be with them at Bethany and raised Lazarus from the dead. Only John talks about that story, but it's a very pivotal one in John's gospel for many reasons. One of them is that as a result of that, many people believed in Jesus, but then there were others, especially some of the religious leaders, well, for them it was the last straw. After this, they decide that they are going to find some way to put Jesus to death. They even put out orders to all the people that whoever might know where Jesus is to come and let them know so that they can have Jesus arrested. That's right before our story today. Right after the story, Jesus gets on a donkey and he rides on the donkey into Jerusalem where people will lay down palm branches and they will shout hosannas to him, the coming of the king, the son of David. That's what happens right before or right after our story. In other words, today's story is a big pivot from when people plan to get rid of Jesus until Jesus enters into his last week. As I read this story today, always time I read it, a lot of unexpected things jump out at me in this story. One obvious unexpected thing that jumps out is this woman, Mary, whose brother is Lazarus, he has, she has a sister, Martha, Mary gets this very costly perfume and anoints Jesus with it. Now, it's so costly, Judas points this out, that it costs 300 denarii, which is almost a whole year's salary. Judas points out what a wasteful thing this is that Mary would do. It's not a bad point, actually, this great abundance that could have been used to, to feed the poor. But, of course, John points out that Jesus really didn't care about the poor. He would, he would very often rob from the common purse. Maybe that's why he cared about the money being in there. But it was still a good point. What a waste. But then there's other things about this that are unexpected. Just the whole act of anointing itself. In, in Scripture in those days, and in the culture of those days, and even since, anointing was basic two main things. One, someone would be anointed for some special purpose. A king was going to be becoming the king, and the king would be anointed. Or a priest would be entering the priesthood, the priest would be anointed. And then the other main time when someone would be anointed is at the point of or at their death. But here Jesus is, right after he's raised Lazarus from the dead. Certainly there must have been excitement going on. And Mary's doing that. In that moment of time, it wouldn't have made sense. It would have been totally, highly unexpected. But of course, as we know, as things play out, 
That very next story, as I mentioned, Jesus is indeed the king, heralded as king as he goes into town. And then just a few days later, though, he is put to death. So perhaps Mary in some way knew what was going to happen. A couple other things about this anointing that's very unexpected. Every other recorded instance of someone being anointed, it was always a male who would anoint the person. Usually a male. It was always a male. Here, though, we have a female anointing Jesus. And not only a female anointing Jesus, but usually the anointing took place on the head. But here Mary, a female, is anointing Jesus' feet. And not only is he, she anointing him with, on his feet, she has undone her hair to wipe the perfume on Jesus' feet. And many people might look at that and say that was a very sexually inappropriate thing for her to do. All this anointing is filled with the unexpected. And then Jesus responds with the very unexpected. Instead of condemning Mary for this um, wasteful use of what could have been a lot of money to go for helping people, Jesus blesses what she's done. Jesus blesses this act of devotion that's centered on her love for Jesus. Somehow she knew that his hour was coming. And then Jesus ends the story with words that will baffle the church ever since. Jesus says this, You'll always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Ever since then, the church has used that to kind of justify really not needing to care for the poor. The church says, well, you know, even Jesus says the poor will always be with you. So if the poor is always with us, we don't really need to care that much about the poor. Instead, let's care about our stuff, our spiritual matters, our financial concerns. Trying to say that Jesus, his emphasis is on the spiritual and not on caring with the needs of others which frankly is silly that we would think that, but of course we do because we want to keep it for ourselves. But it's impossible to separate the ministry of Jesus from his care for the poor, for the oppressed, for the outcast, from the things he said, his teachings, his healings, the people that he would eat supper with. Jesus was always focusing on those that have been called the least and the last and the lost. And not only that, Jesus was also always calling out those who put such labels on other people. Jesus' ministry was embracing the poor. That was a very integral part of his ministry. It was not an add-on. It was it. And then there's some interpreters of this text that try to explain it this way. I'll throw this one out there. The text, it says, you always have the poor with you. And the word there for have is the Greek word estes. It's the indicative or present tense. You have. Well, estes can also be in the Greek translated in the imperative tense. In other words, in order. In other words, instead of just saying you have, it's keep them. In other words, you have them. You keep a hold of them, not just you always will have the poor with you. It's keep the poor with you. That makes sense. 
No? Does that make sense? Are you, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, keep the poor with you because soon I'm going to be gone. Perhaps that's what Jesus is saying. Regardless of how Jesus said, however we interpret that sentence, Jesus is not saying that the poor don't matter. Jesus is focusing on that soon he's going to be gone. But the unexpected continues. Right after this story, as I've mentioned, Jesus is going to get on the donkey. And as he, walk, as he goes into Jerusalem on this donkey, there's a growing expectation and excitement among the people that this is the second coming of David, the king of the Jews. They're going to put their hope in Jesus, that Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans and let Israel rule itself once again. However, those same Romans that were expected to be thrown out by Jesus, unexpectedly, they killed Jesus. They put him on a cross to let everybody know what happens to you when you dare say that there's anyone who is a king besides Caesar's, so much today is about the unexpected. Of course, we're dealing with a God of the unexpected throughout Scripture. God takes the most unlikely and unexpected people to do God's thing. God calls this man and his wife. They're way too old to have children. They don't have any children. And God says, you go and I'm going to make you the parents of a great nation. And many years later, Abraham and Sarah become the parents of the nation of Israel. Later on, there was a lady named Ruth who became the, parent, the, the, the foreparent of the King David. And Ruth was not even a person of Israel. She was a Moabite. And then that David. David, the youngest son of all the sons of Jesse, the least likely to be king. And he was the one that was tabbed to be king. And even after he committed egregious sin against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, God still stuck with David. God's always doing the unexpected and then, of course, there was this lady named Mary who gave birth to a man named Jesus, a baby named Jesus. God is the God of the unexpected. And in the days to come, we will see how God, the unexpected God, will act. Next Sunday, when we gather, we'll remember what happens to Jesus, that he gets arrested and then he gets killed. But then three days later, well, let's just say that God is not done doing the unexpected. And God continues to do the unexpected. And not only does God continue to do the unexpected, He calls us to participate in that unexpected. Mary today. Jesus embraced what Mary did because what she did was she gave of her whole self is devotion and love for Jesus. But it's still all around us today. If you want to see God at work, doing some really unexpected but really cool stuff, I invite you to come with the group that goes this coming Tuesday night to the Deerson House, to the Deerson Center, where the New Life in Christ Christian Church gathers to worship 
with a bunch of women who are locked up because of their drug convictions. And here they are praising God in a way that I say puts our worship to shame. Come with us. I promise that you will be blessed by the unexpectedness of the joy of that time. Here's a couple unexpecteds that I experienced this week. Once a month, I, I generally go to the Ministerial Association meeting here in town. And I went this week because there was a, a particular elected official. I'm not going to say this person's name because you'll think, oh, well, Scott likes that political party versus this other political party. So I'm not going to say this person's name. But I want to tell you, though, in listening to this elected official speak from his heart, about why he seeks to do what he does as an elected official. He readily admits that sometimes he gets it wrong, but he said that he always tries to do what he does because he thinks that's what God would have him do. Compassion, he says, is what grounds him in serving in the state legislature. I tell you, I walked away from that meeting that day having witnessed the unexpected. Here's another one. You know, a lot said today about how people are leaving the church in droves, and they are. And especially young people who are leaving the church. However, this past Wednesday afternoon, I sat out on the picnic table out there in the playground on that beautiful sunny day and was witness to three young people who are excited about their desire to follow Jesus and they can't wait to be baptized on Easter Sunday. The God of the unexpected is added again in the lives of Jackson and Anderson and Caden. I guess I need to share this last unexpected, even though it's really not all that unexpected. Because you know I haven't talked a whole lot about this surgery I'm having this week. Because I just, I just don't like talking about that. I'll talk about your stuff if you want to. But I am grateful at the unexpected, even though it's not all that unexpected, care that I receive from so many in all of this, and I thank you for it. Our God is a God of the unexpected, and now it's your turn to think on God's unexpected ways among us. I'm going to read these questions and sit down for a minute and let you think on them. What unexpected things has God done in your own life? What might be something unexpected that God is wanting you to be a part of? And what might be some unexpected that God might be calling our church into? Be on the lookout for the God of the unexpected. Now let us sing.